Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. CTFM, this is Eyewitness News, live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Maltin Loop in Adabraka in Accra, with me, Ni Lati Lati. This evening, I'm here with... No Safo. And coming up in the next 90 minutes. Borrow from the Treasury Bill Market and pay them so that they can leave, and then we can bring the economy back. For the principals, I don't even see the problem of government. The principal is due. If you haven't paid, it is still part of your debt. Pensioners bondholders ask government to borrow from the Treasury bill market to settle matured coupons and principals. We hear from them tonight. Still on eyewitness news, the tussle between TUC and Sonnen Asogli over unionization deepens as demonstration to have the termination of three workers of the company reversed kicks off tomorrow. So, comrades, it's not a matter of you know, long talks. We need to show that we are union and we have to do what unions do. And what unions do will be very clear from tomorrow. In fact, it's starting from now. And later, students of the University of Ghana get some relief following a 2% discount approval on fees. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on these and other stories on Eyewitness News and in business. Economist calls for a relook at government's fiscal dominance at its undermines efficacy of monetary policy. That will be in the next 15 minutes with Nashika Caesar from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across the country on affiliates in the Western region. We are live on Premier 100.5 FM in Takradi Beach, 105.5 FM. Also in Takradi and Sky Power 93.5 FM in Takradi as well in the Bono region. You've joined us on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyane Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi in the Shanti region. In the Eastern region, this is right 90.1 FM in Somanya, Holy 98.5 FM in Aplaho in the Volta region. In the Northern region, this is Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendi. Word 88.3 FM in Zwarungu in the Upper East Region and Bugli Radio 88.6 FM in Wa in the Upper West Region. The show is also live on Facebook on City 97.3 City FM and also on YouTube on City Tube. Eyewitness News is interactive. Tell us what you make of the stories. Share your views and thoughts via WhatsApp on 0549-986-996-0549. 986996. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. My name is Ni Lati Lati. Tonight, this is how we choose to kick off and go to the camp of the Pensioner Bondholders Forum. Today, they are asking government to borrow from the Treasury Bill market to settle all the outstanding coupons and principals of their bonds. Today, they resumed their series of picketing to press on government to make payment because they say government has failed to pay 19 coupons as well as three principals since February after granting the pensioners exemption 
from the Domestic Debt Exchange Program. Let's speak to convener of the group, Dr. Edu Anani Enchi, who joins us via telephone. Doc, good evening to you and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. Good evening and thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Always a pleasure to be speaking to you. Picketed, you are exempted from the Domestic Debt Exchange Program as well as some individuals who decided not to participate after your series of picketing a committee was formed which you also abandoned but today you've returned to the finance ministry trying to get the assurance from government to have your picketing and to have your coupons paid to you as a group this time around how different is your strategy to ensure that payment is made to you well thank you the other time it was to uh we, we, we fought for exemption, to be granted exemption, and we got that. And after being granted exemption, we all uh, 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 knew we were going to have our payments as and when they are due, as per the dictates of the market. Uh, unfortunately, even though that should have been the case, and uh, reassurance was also given by the ministry, that has not been the case. And the uh, coupons and principals has been outstanding uh, since the uh, DDET uh, ended. And uh, we have tried and tried and tried to get government to settle this uh, outstanding. Uh, and we are not getting the, uh, the needed uh, uh, payments that uh, must be made. And, and therefore, we had to embark on this. After we have served government notice that if we didn't get a payment, uh, we said we sent a letter to the government on the 30th, that if we didn't get a payment by 21st, we would resume our picketing to back our demand. And uh, we didn't get any feedback uh, on the 14th where a called to a meeting, the uh, government wanted to recall the technical committee to look at pathways of, of paying those areas below. That's not how the market works. You don't invite your creditors to come and sit with you and plan how you, the data, you are going to pay. You manage your own cash flow. And you come out and say, this is how I'm going to pay. So we can't be part of such an arrangement. However, we granted government a further one week uh, to top that 21st to make it 28. And after 28, we hadn't heard anything. And so we wrote them to the police to inform them that you resume our picketing today. Uh, Friday, last week, Thursday, Friday, we realized that government has started paying those that were due on the 1st March and 6th March. And if that even is paid fully, we will still be having 19 coupons outstanding and 13 principals. The first principal that mature was 20th February. It's been outstanding for 77 days. And principals are the amounts that government borrowed for a specified uh, 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 number of years, let's say two years. Now the two years has come, or four years, five years. It's come, you have to return that amount to investors. You are keeping that amount for a further 77 days without paying interest. At this time, that inflation is uh, as high as anybody can say. You are still keeping people's money without interest for 77 seven days. This is not how to treat investors. So we say, look, the pensioners especially cannot wait uh, for their money to, to buy their medication and other 
uh, necessary supply. So uh, we have to uh, begin picketing from today, and we have uh, we've done that, and we continue to do that from tomorrow until we get paid. Right. The government says it's going to pay you if it does get the money to ensure that payment is made to you. You have not heard from government, just as you've mentioned. Isn't it because government does not have the fiscal the fiscal strength to make payment to you? I mean, if government says it doesn't have money, I don't have any problem whether to say yes or no. But I'm saying that government can still borrow some funds from the treasury market to pay us. Those who are not affected by the bonds, uh, CDEP, and are holding treasury bills, government always borrow from the same treasury bill market and pay them. As it matures, government pays them by borrowing from the same treasury bill market. You are saying, do the same. If you think that that is going to increase your debt level, that is fine. It will increase your debt level slightly by the coupon that you are going to pay. But we are talking about life and death. People need their money to buy their medicine. And we are all happy, our president once said, that you cannot bring people back to life when they, they are confronted with this illness and diseases and you don't have the means to, to, to take them through uh, curing. You know, they will die and you cannot bring them back. But if you borrow, I says, uh, you borrow some uh, few, uh, how much? I don't know. Government hasn't come out to say, this is how much I need to service uh, this debt. Nobody knows. How much is it that you cannot borrow from the treasury bill market? Raise your, your, your debt level a little. That would not be very substantial. And take care of these elderly so that they can live. It is better than say, I don't want to borrow, uh, let my uh, uh, debt levels go up so people should go without medicine and die. That is not how uh, things must be. So if there is no money to come, there is still that avenue of the tracing bill market that government can borrow. Because government is borrowing to pay the mature treasury bill. So borrow a little more to also service the, the coupons. And as for the maturity value, I can't see even the problem. Because if you owe the bonds of $2 million and you haven't paid, it's part of your debt. If you take money from the treasury bill, $2 million, to pay this debt, you will still have the same debt level. You pay, you pay, you borrow to pay off. Your debt level doesn't go up. The only time your debt level will be going up is when you have paid, uh, borrow to pay the, 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 the coupons. And I don't think the coupons are much. That will balloon our, uh, uh, our debt levels to unsustainable levels, if you want to call it that. So government can still use the treasury market to service these uh, coupons, which is not very, very material. Small, small monies that people need to buy their medicine. It's not much. And we think that government can do that through borrowing from the treasury bill. But, but how feasible is this proposal you are making, especially because you admit that it's likely that it's going to raise uh, debt? Also, doesn't it appear that you are shifting the burden on another group of persons, those who purchase government treasuries that in the unlikely event that the government is overstretched and is unable to honor payment to you know these treasury holders they will also be having difficulties therein you see the treasury bill holders are not having any problems because the government is still borrowing from the treasury bill market to service their debt as and when it is due so they don't have a challenge all that we are saying that 
borrow a little more from the Treasury bill market to service these coupons. If, for example, this year, this month, this week, you needed to uh, uh, pay Treasury bill holders maturity of $2 billion, and therefore you issue a new Treasury bill of $2 billion to pay them, you are saying, top it up. If you think that there are coupons of 100, uh, 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 let's say 100 million to be paid, borrow 2.1 uh, billion, then get your, that 100 million excess that you have borrowed from the Treasury bill market in, in terms of what you needed to service the Treasury bill holders. Borrow excess of that 100 million and use it to, to pay coupons on the, and I don't think it will be much given that. And we see we don't have the figures that this is what I need to pay these uh, uh, pension, uh, pensioners their coupons. We don't have it. We are just as in. But I think it is not much. I don't think pensioners hold so much uh, bonds in this country that their coupons will be a problem that government cannot uh, use a little more borrowing from the Treasury bill market to service these coupons. No, I don't believe that. Unless the government shows us the figure, that this is your, your figure. Every week, that maturity is coming. My coupons that are, my coupons that I do, I need to maybe release 500 million for, uh, for, uh, 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 pension, pensioners who have holding bonds. No, we don't, I don't think it will be that much at all. If it's with government, you let us know. This is how much I need to service you. This coupon that I'll be having service from 2000, from, let's say, March 13th, this is the amount that will be going to bond holders who are pensioners. This is the amount, this is the amount, this is the total. We don't have that. But we believe that is not much. Government is not owing that much in terms of coupon that will be coming from, uh, uh, that must go to uh, pensioners. A lot of the the, uh, uh, the files that were not exempting, uh, the, the, the bonds that were exempted from the, the program, are for this our bonds that are, are, are held by uh, what you call it, the pension fund. I don't think individuals, even including those that are not uh, those who are not uh, pensioners, I don't think we are much in terms of percentage. So government can do something. Can borrow from the treasury bill market and pay these pensioners. They are small coupons that they, are, they need to buy their medication and take care of themselves. And let them have some life to, to, to live. Otherwise, people will not get their drugs to take and they will end up just dying. But be as it may, uh, this challenge that you have on your hand currently, isn't it as a result of your own decision uh, not to collide? The technical committee was formed. You abandoned the technical committee, insisting that the government didn't have any tangible thing to offer and then you were not in, in it you know quest to have a payment plan you know reached with you you as as a group so you see i i don't see how people i, I don't know whether people the understanding of the financial market may be different from my understanding my 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 working life as a finance person this is the first time i'm hearing that a day a credit a data will say creditors should come and meet him and plan with, with the data, how is going to service his debt? I haven't heard that before. Maybe because the context, the context is different it is now. Not, it, it is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. I have never seen it. It is not uh, things that is done. If you were a, a corporate issuer, like any, any company has issued bonds, 
government should know it's the same like a corporate issuer. You want me to come and sit down and plan your cash flow? Then what are the, your director of finance and your chief accountants and others in your company doing? That is not how we, 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 we work. You would have to plan your own cash flow and say, this is how I can pay or service my debt. You don't say the creditors should come and sit down with you and plan your own cash flow. We don't know how you make your money. We don't control the government pays. We don't control your, your expenditure, where you take the money, where you, 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 you spend the money. We don't control it. So we cannot be that uh, team to plan with you a pathway of... You see, even if you have gone to court, like any issuer or any debtor, if you have even gone to court and the court wants to help um, to settle matters, they will tell the, de- the debtor to bring a payment plan. You, the debtor, you send a payment plan to your creditors and, 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 and talk to them. Can you allow me to do A, B, C, D? And the, debt, the creditors say, okay, yes, then you file it as a payment plan. But not come and let sit down with me and plan with me how I am going to pay you. That is not how. We operate in this financial market as an issuer. Yours is to handle your cash flow in a manner that will allow you to pay your creditors when they are due. It is not a creditor's duty to come and sit with you and plan your own cash flow. We don't know how you receive, how you get your cash flow. We don't know how you are spending your cash flow. And you want us to come and sit down with you and plan ways that you are going to pay. That is not how we run this market. This is the financial market. This is not how it is run. The government is an issuer. The government must know how issuers must operate in the financial market to be able to meet the payment uh, of uh, coupons and bonds. Look at your cash flow. You yourself, plan your cash flow. If you think that you cannot do this because of these ABC expenditure, I want to cut it down and free resources to pay. It is your job to do. It is not my job as a creditor to come and do that. And after all, when this technical committee met first, and they say cut here, cut here, cut here to free, what cutting has been done to free some of these things? We don't think that is the way forward. So we say, you plan your own cash flow and tell us and, and give us uh, our, our money. And government has even come out to say, look, I have done this cash flow and I realize that I may be able to pay it along this line. No, nothing has come from government. And you expect us to sit down and be waiting, not knowing when we are going to receive our money to buy our medicine, especially those who are relying solely on these small, small coupons to buy their medication. That is all right. And we, we should not allow that to happen. To happen. So, so therefore, what is the way forward? What are the next steps for you? The way forward for us is that we will converge there until government uh, raises money. If he has to raise money from the treasury bill market, he should raise money from the treasury bill market and pay us so that people will have access to their drugs, money to go and buy their drugs and leave. Nobody knows when they, the, how long government, the, 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 the Lord would want them to leave. And then because they couldn't get their medicine, they would die. No, that should not be. So let the people get their money. And I'm saying the treasury bill market is not close to government. Government can borrow from the treasury market. It's not much. Government should come out and tell us, you see, and all these things that we are seeing, government has even come out. This bill, that this bond, the coupon that is due on the 6th uh, February, pensioners once inside is, let's say, 20 million. 
since that was due, this pensioners one is the 15. We don't have that figure. Of course, I believe it will be a small figure, a very small figure. That government can use treasury bill proceeds to, to settle. You, you, you are taking money from the treasury bill. Just take a little more than what you need to service the treasury bill maturities and use that little money. And government knows every week how much money it will need if you want to settle these coupons of pensioners. He will, he will know how much money it will need to top up on the treasury bills that he needed to pay the, the, the normal treasury bill uh, maturities. And pay people to this, uh, money to these uh, elderly people who are, in most cases, relying solely on their coupons uh, to take care of their health and other needs. I'm asking about what is going to happen if you do not get a buy-in of government with we, this latest... We, because we are saying we will go there, we will be ticketing until we get uh, the results. All right. I, I want to wish you well. That's uh, Dr. Edu Anani Entry, convener of the Pensioner Bondholders Forum, telling us about their latest proposal to government to borrow from the Treasury bill market in order to settle all outstanding coupons and principals on their bonds. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM, live from our studios at number 11. Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka here in Accra. My name is Ni Lati Lati here tonight with Eno Safo. Do stay with us, we have more for you. Eyewitness News, be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let me read some of your messages you have been sending in, and this one comes in from Jones Adoboy in La. He says, good evening, Ni. This is incentive. I, you want to say insensitive, rather, shameful and disrespectful to our elders. After all the sacrifices to their nation, this is the way you reward them. What sin have these pensioners committed to deserve such inhumane treatment? Aaron Bakobo in Accra says, I think we will only have a better tomorrow when we have selfless political leaders, visionary leaders, but not functional leaders, that is political leaders that only attend funerals, parties, and also leaders that can exhibit a greater level of communication skills. You see, Emil in Esujaman says, what is the country becoming after the pensioners had suffered and saved this country for so many years? Look at what you are subjecting them to, too bad, Kennedy says this government is not doing well in managing the economy you can also share your messages with us on whatsapp on 0549-986-996 this is still eyewitness news on 97.3 ctfm let me now go to eno who brings us some more stories the Adar Traditional Council has sent a strong word of caution to political party activists, especially followers of the two major parties, NPP and the NDC, to stay off the Adar Songo Salt concession. According to the Adar chiefs, some political activists have been instigating some indigents of Adar against private salt mining firm Electrochem Ghana Limited. At a press conference, the Mankralu of the Adar Traditional Council, Nene Obitre Agude III, says the actions 
actions of such persons are derailing the progress of the communities that are expected to benefit from the natural resources of the land. The petition reported to be the position of Adali and presented at the demonstration was signed by a known political party propagandist and not chiefs who are the traditional leaders. We therefore use this opportunity to warn all political parties, especially NDC and NDP, to stay clear of Adan Songo Lagoon development for us to achieve this massive transformation in peace and harmony. We believe that security services are able to speak to issues of breaches, if any, in maintaining law and order, and whether there have been excesses in their operations. In conclusion, we maintain that as far as the land, our doors are always open to continue the engagement with all well-meaning Adani, also find attached additional responses to their concerns with. That was the Mankralo of the Adar Traditional Council, Nene Ubichiri Agude III. Away from that, the Ghana Institution of Engineering says the collapse of three buildings within a week should be a wake-up call for institutions responsible for providing oversight for the construction of such projects. Two of the incidents involved a three-story building at Medina and Adentan in Accra, and the third was a six-story building under construction at the University for Development Studies at San in the northern region. Reacting to this, the president-elect of the Ghana Institution of Engineering, Engineer Ludwig Hesse, said his outfit would conduct independent probes into the cases. Uh, we at the Ghana Institution of Engineering, we are working with the Engineering Council of Ghana and uh, these investigations uh, will be done and then, then we'll find out what the issues are, then we can prefer uh, recommendations. For now, everybody wants a responsibility in building should ensure that they are doing what is right. We have laws that guide the way we should build. Every building should have, uh, before you build, uh, you, you should have an, uh, a structural engineer, geotechnical engineers to, 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 to advise you correctly. And based on the advice and designs, when you are constructing, you should have engineers around to, or engineer practitioners around to supervise and make sure that they are using the right materials. We have mixing them well, you are compacting well, you are observing all the rules, safety rules and everything so that we, we can uh, cut down on this. So anybody who is involved in any um, construction at the moment, the questions you should ask yourself is that, do I have the involvement of professionals who know what is right? Uh, if you don't, then you have to stop and ask them, uh, get professionals to help you to review what you are doing before you continue. There are laws. You should ask yourself, am I following the right regulations and laws? Do I have building permits? Have my building has the design been reviewed? Is somebody supervising the work I'm doing? Make sure that uh, what the law says you should do, you, you are doing them. Uh, for me, everybody, and this is for everybody, when you are doing, uh, you should be asking these questions uh, about, about ourselves. Engineer Ludwig Hesse is the president-elect of the Ghana Institution of Engineering. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's now turn our attention to education because remember sometime last year there appeared to be an impasse between some uh, student groups as well as management of various tertiary institutions as a result of the increment in school fees following the directive by the Ghana Tertiary Education Commission, that's GTEC. That 15% increment 
uh, you know, did not sit well with some student groups for which reason they appealed to parliament to look into that particular subject matter. Today, the Council of the University of Ghana has approved a one-time discount of 2% on that 15% increment for some of its students for the 2022-2023 academic year. Let's get a reaction from one of these student groups, that's the National Union of Ghana Students, that's NUCS, president of that association, is Dennis Nana Kofi Labi. He joins us on telephone. Uh, good evening to you, uh, Mr. Labi, and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. I'm wondering if this particular news is satisfactory to you. Hello, Mr. Labi. Uh, my sincerest apologies there. It appears we do not have Dennis Nanakufi Labi on the line. Let's try to reconnect him and, let, and then pick his thoughts on this particular development. Just as I was saying, the University of Ghana Governing Council today approved a 2% discount on the 15% fee increment for some of its students for the 2022-2023 academic year. This actually comes on the back of an approval by Parliament for the academic year. Well, the discounts apply to full fee paying programs at the Accra City Campus as well as uh, distance education programs. Last year, there was this impasse between UG management, student leaders, and the National Union of Ghana Students, NUCS, as well as the Ghana Tertiary Education Commission, that's GTEC, over the 15% increase in fees. A bit of background. GTEC had directed all public tertiary institutions to review fees for the next academic year for a maximum of 15% increment. The directive followed numerous complaints that some universities were charging more than 15% rate approved uh, by parliament. I'm told Dennis is back on the line. Much better, I want to believe it now. Let's pick a start. Uh, Dennis, if you can hear me, good evening to you and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. Thank you so much and good evening to you, your listeners and the entire production team. Right. Uh, yes, uh, today the university has approved a 2% discount on the directive of parliament. At the time that the fees were increased, you raise serious concerns. I'm asking if you are okay with this particular discount approval the University of Ghana Council has given. Um, <laughs> I I have in front of me the statement from the University of Ghana. And for me, I I think that first of all, I am, I'm not very happy. I'm not a very happy person considering that um, this is what, this is the list of the things we expected. Um, I am not happy. The union is not happy. This is purely because we believe strongly that we had made a very strong case for the reduction in fees. But on the other side or on the flip side, uh, we believe this is an acknowledgement that um, the university and the system, as you may want to put it, has to acknowledge the fact that it is a uh, it has a responsibility in cushioning students and supporting the livelihood of students. There are some back and forth during the negotiation period or the um, settlement of the issues period between ourselves, Parliament, GTEC, and the investment management. The back and forth emanated from some um, um, supposed poor communication between um, GTEC and the institution. 
but at the end of the day, I think that what we had insisted and we keep insisting is that fees charged beyond 15% had to go below or had to come down. Fortunately for us, almost every institution complied. Well, so before you continue, was, you say you are not happy. This wasn't what you were expecting. Are you able to tell us specifically what you so were looking for? We expected more of a reduction than 2%. So in terms of percentage, uh, what do you think the university should have done? As of the time of the discussions, I, I, in my memory, said, tells me very right. Um, we were expecting it to be dropped to the 15% as the threshold had indicated. Which would therefore mean that the university fees were, shouldn't have been increased at all. Is that what you are saying? In our presentation to Gintech and Parliament, we were very clear that the fees and the justification by the University of Ghana were not something that we could work with purely because it went beyond the threshold and it was something that was an open fact by everybody. But then again, like I mentioned, um, the university came forward with the issues of poor communication or the misunderstanding that they had from the GTEC communication. When GTEC ad admitted, out of that admission by GTEC, we had to, um, as it were, tone down on some of the things because we believe that GTEC admission more of shifts the blame to GTEC. But at the end of the day, the good thing is that there was an amicable solution to it, which meant that the investor had agreed to go and reduce the fees. We were hoping that we would have had a minimum of about 5% reduction. But unfortunately for us, we have 2% to contend with. What this tells us is that going forward, um, we would not only be on the investment, we would also be checking the kind of communication that comes from GTEC to ensure that we streamline at both end. And one day we don't have any institution telling us that they did not get the message from GTEC very clearly. But when this issue unfolded, uh, the university in a statement clarified issues, insisting that what it did was right according to the rules of the game. But let's make progress with this particular one. 2% increment. Student, students should also give a, a sigh of relief, for which reason uh, these uh, discounts based on the fee-paying programs as well as that are the Accra City Campus and Distance Education Program have been you know reflected or have been applied rather to the account of these students so students should go in and make payments is that not what we should be talking about now i think that like i mentioned uh, i mentioned that um because we are not very happy with it clearly we must uh, indicate that we had hoped for a much more um, bigger reduction than what we have now but that notwithstanding and this is what we have now so we work with it that does not take away the fact that we are working with it does not take away that we expected more. And we have never hidden the fact that we expected a much more bigger reduction than we have now. So, I don't know if that's, so, that so, so does clear. it mean that you want to go back to parliament to petition the house and also oh, make no, some no, no, further no, no. appeals? We won't. Mm. We won't. These are lessons for all of us the student front, and the investment management, parliament, JTEC. I remember very well at the meeting. I mentioned that these are lessons for all of us. Going forward, we would implore the Ghana Tertiary Education Commission to be very forthright and straightforward with their communication or their correspondence with the institutions because it comes back again in future terms and becomes difficult. But then we have something to deal with. At least the reduction is an admission that the students of this country are going through tough times and all stakeholders 
accord a factory responsibility to support and cushion students. Mm. All right, thank you. That's Dennis Nanakofila, the president of the National Union of Ghana Association. That's Nukes. We will be staying a while longer on this particular issue and then get the thoughts of uh, management of the University of Ghana. We are trying to raise an official from the university, speak to him and then get uh, the university's position and in fact inquire what actually went into this particular decision. But if you are a student of the University of Ghana, this may come as good news to you. If you're a student, fee-paying student, Accra City Campus student or a distance education student, you'll be having a 2% one-time discount on the 15% fee increment and that's what, that has been applied by the Council of the University for the 2022-2023 academic year. And this is actually a directive based on the approval of the Parliament of Ghana. We engaged uh, Dennis Nanakofilabi, president of the National Union of Ghana Students, uh, obviously not too happy with this 2% reduction or discount. Let me now bring in Professor Rans, for example, member of the University of Ghana communication team on this same issue. Uh, good evening to you, Prof, and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. First, tell us what really went into this particular decision and why these three groups of students. Hello. Hello, Prof, I can hear you loud and clear. Uh-huh. You said Dennis is not happy about what? No, I'm saying that we spoke to Nooks, but that's actually not the question I'm putting to you. I'm first finding out from you uh, the decision of the University Council, if you can tell us more about what went into this particular directive. Well, we, we, uh, we received a directive um, from the Fees and Charges Act 2020, Act 1080, that said we should increase school fees by um, 15%. And I think um, it was a directive that went to all agencies of state that render some service to the public. And so we complied with that directive. Subsequently, we were informed that some people felt that we had charged illegal fees. So they took us to several quarters. One Key area, one key place they sent us to was the select parliamentary select committee on education. Um, so the committee um, convened a meeting that brought together all stakeholders, and I'm talking about um, the university management, um, students, NOOCs, JTEC, and you need, like I said, all the stakeholders um, to dialogue and to discuss the issue. Subsequently, the select committee wrote to us telling us that we have not charged any illegal fees. Um, I don't have your direct contact number. I would have WhatsApp it to you. I thought it was uh, Umaru. Otherwise, I would have sent that letter that the Parliamentary Select Committee wrote to the university after its meeting with all stakeholders, saying that, no, you have not charged any illegal fees. Your fees that you have charged are actually legal. But subsequently, then they appealed to us that um, can we consider offering a discount on the fees for this current academic year to help lessen the burden on parents and students? Now, in response, the University of Ghana Council used its discretion to offer 2% discount on the fees of those who 
it's considered pay where we're to be paying higher fees. And here we're referring to fee paying students, fee, uh, full fee paying students, city campus students, and students from a distance um, um, education unit. And so it is important for us to make the point that this was just a kind gesture offered by the University of Ghana Council purely on humanitarian grounds mm. and not an obligation at all. Very and well. The University of Ghana therefore had the liberty to use this, get, this gesture the best way it thought would help um, students. And so we are not, we didn't charge any legal fees. And if somebody is appealing that, yes, your, your fees are not illegal, but um, can you do something about it? And we've gone out of our way to do something about it. Mind you, all the universities, all the public universities have not been appealed to. Okay, we have been appealed to to do something. We've given them um, 2% rebate. So I, I think that this should be, should be no news. Or if it's going to be a news, its value should lie in uh, we being commended. Well, very well. Uh, the fees you say were not illegal, but 2% on 15%, one would just ask, isn't it infinitesimal and that you could have done more as a university as you try to put a human face to this all? My, my brother, mm. the government that gave the directive and actually passed a law that we should increase fees by 15%, have you questioned them? If the government passes a law that should increase a fee by 15% and a university is complying, all universities are complying, why haven't you gone to question the other universities why they have also not done anything to lessen burdens on parents and students? We have gone out of our way to reduce it by 2% in contravention with the law that has been passed. And you are not happy. You are saying 2% is infinitesimal. How about those who are charging the full 15%? How will you describe them? Prof, I'm not the one saying it. Students who are going they to pay are, the fees are, are the ones saying this. There are so this. many important issues that are burdening, um, are bothering Ghanaians. Let's talk about them. And let us applaud those who have gone out of their way to show this humanitarian gesture to parents. Let's applaud them. And <laughs> they are colleagues. If Nooks is saying that this 2% is infinitesimal, then I expect them to boldly look into the face. There are 15 public universities in Ghana. All of them are starting, are increasing their fees by 15%. UG has reduced its own by 2%. If they really are interested in the cause of students, and if they are not seeking their own interest, if they are not, if they are really articulating and championing the, the interest of students in Ghana, then they should go to the other universities and make such appeals, you know, similar appeals to them, to tell them that they should also increase, um, decrease their, their fees by 2%. But if they are not doing so, then I think we are not being fair to ourselves. We are not being fair to students. Mm. But why these uh, three groups of, you know, students, full fee paying programs, programs at the Accra City Campus, as well as the distance education program, what happens to the regular students? Well, like I said, this was just a kind gesture offered purely on humanitarian grounds and not an obligation at all. And so the university had the liberty and discretion to use this gesture in the best way it thinks would help students. And like I said, these are the cohort of students that are paying higher fees compared to a regular student. 
And so management and council decided that, well, if we want to give 2% discount, let's give it to those who are paying higher fees and not those who are paying a school fees. That's around 1,200 cities. I see. And so maybe as as clarification, the 2% discount is on the 15% increment and not the entire fees, if you can give yes, us that clarification. Yes, it's on the 15% increment, yeah. And you say it has been applied to the account of these affected students? Yes, it's been applied. And we have evidence um, to show um, that the affected students have had their um, accounts credited to that team. All right. Uh, thank you. That's Professor Rans for Jampo, member yes, of the... Please, let me make this point again. Please let me do. make this point again. Let us not be in a hurry to um, break news or make news without being, you know, holistic in our approach. I'm urging you to go to the other public universities. I've given you an assignment. There are 15 public universities. They have all complied with the um, Fees and Charges Act 2020, Act um, 1080 that has enjoined them to increase fees by 15%. They've all done that. Legon has gone out of its way following appeals from a parliamentary select committee to reduce its own by 2%. If we truly mean business and if we are truly concerned about the interests of the downtrodden, then let us appeal to the rest of the uh, 15 public universities that they should follow the example that Legon has said. Well, Prof, maybe because you are the pace setters, the nation's premier university, well, so the hope and glory. The, <laughs> the hope and the nation's hope and glory, the nation's premier university, the only university in Ghana. We have set the pace. And so I enjoy I appeal to you that you use your good medium to call on the rest to follow the pace that has been set. And uh, looks and all of you indeed must applaud the premier investment. Well, I'm sure they will learn from you. But thank you so much. That's uh, Professor Rans for Jampo, a member of the University of Ghana communication team, clarifying for us the one-time discount that has been offered some students of the University of Ghana for the uh, this current academic year. But this is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. When we come back, We'll be telling you about the tracing on Congress and their demonstration tomorrow. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. It's all eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM with me, Nilati Lati, here tonight with Eno Safo. Let's bring you more stories now and take you to uh, the camp of the Judicial Service Staff Association of Ghana. You may be aware of their threat to lay down their tools over approved salaries owed them. Well, the government has invited the association to the negotiating table. And so let me now bring in General Secretary of the Association to pick his thoughts on this particular development. Yakubu Abdullah is General Secretary of CHUSAC. A good evening to you, sir, and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. Now we are picking up information that you have been summoned by government as far as your issues are concerned. Are you going to honor the invitation and what are your expectations when you visit uh, the table? 
Hello, Mr. Abdullahi. Hello, Mr. Abdullahi. Uh, sincere apologies there. I do not think we have Yakubo Abdullahi on the telephone line. Let's try to reconnect to him and then we'll bring you his reaction on this particular latest development. But before that, you know, tell us what the TUC has been up to. The Trades Union Congress has reiterated its decision to embark on a protest tomorrow, Tuesday, May 9, 2023, at Pong, where Sunona Sogli Ghana Limited operates. The protest is in solidarity with the Ghana Mine Workers Union's demand for the immediate reinstatement of three of their local union leaders whose appointments have been terminated by Sunan Asogli Ghana Limited. According to the union, the leaders were dismissed for joining the Ghana Mine Workers Union, which is under the Trades Union Congress. Secretary General of the TEC, Dr. Yalba, addressed the presser. Well, before we bring you the voice of uh, uh, Dr. Yalban, let me take you back to our earlier story with regards to the Judicial Service Staff, uh, Judicial Service Association of Ghana, that's JUSAC. They've been invited to the negotiating table by the National Labour Commission. Yakubu Abdullah is General Secretary of the Association. Uh, good evening to you, sir, and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. Good evening, and thank you too for having me. Mm. Well, you said that government did not want to listen to you on your plight, but you've been invited today, as we learn. Are you going to honor that invitation? And when you go, what are you going to put on that table? JUSAC is a law-abiding uh, organization, and we will honor the invitation of the National Labor Commission. When we go there, we are, our expectation is that the Labor Commission will join our call on the president to do the needful to avoid what we are all trying to avoid. That is approving our salaries and getting it paid for us in the month of May with all the areas. But as an association, do you already have a plan that you are going to present to the government? And if you do, tell us more about that particular plan action. Our plan is already known to government. What we are asking for, the review of our salaries, the recommendation is before the president for the president to approve for us. Australia, which after 12 of uh, May 2023, we have outlined an industrial action that we are going to take, i.e. wearing of red armbands to work from next Monday for one week. And if we still don't get our demands met, the following week will begin with an indefinite uh, strike. That is what we have in place. So from what you are telling me, it appears that you've officially received you know, the invitation. But in that official invitation, what did the Labour Commission tell you? The Labour Commission made reference to Section 139 of the Labour Act, which gives us power to stem uh, on parties or disputing parties whenever there is a an industrial action or there is dispute in the respect of labor and indicated that we should appear on Wednesday at 11 a.m. And the other, the party on the other side, uh, that is referring to government, should also come with their response to our demand. Today is going to be, the, that meeting is going to be the first time that parties are going to be meeting the commission. And the, when we get there, the commission will assist us to determine the way forward. 
Well, I lost you briefly. What were you telling us? If you can, yeah, you your point. The invitation is per the powers conferred on the Labour Commission under Section 139 of the Labour Act. They have, when there is an industrial dispute between employer and an employee, they have that mandate to invite parties to come so that they can find a way of uh, settling the dispute. That is the reason why they have invited us. So when we come before the Labour Commission, our demands is going to be made known the response from government side will also be made known to the Labour Commission and we'll take it up from there. Right. As you want to take it up from there, I just want to find out from you. Finally, what would you want to hear on that negotiating table before you decide to go ahead with your strike or even call it off at all? No, I think our demands are very clear. If you understand what we are going through, I think we did not repeat ourselves. How does it feel for a worker to have his salary decrease with the withdrawal of the cola with, and then prices keeps increasing, new taxes being introduced, the real value of your money has decreased and you've exercised patience for four months. Government knew of what we were going through. Were they waiting for us to strike before they invite us to the table for us to negotiate? I don't think that should be the way to go. So our expectation is that when we get there, in fact, the Labour Commission should also be looking at... Uh, persuading government to give us the necessary approval that we are looking for and have it implemented. That is going to be the surest way of having this dispute resolved. So when is this particular meeting and at what time? It's going to be on Wednesday at uh, 11.30 a.m. That okay. was the 10th of May. We will be there to follow proceedings, but we are grateful to you, Yakubu Abdullah, General Secretary of the Judicial Service Association of the Judicial Service Staff Association of Ghana, JUSAC, you know, and you were telling us about TUC and their demonstration. Yes, yeah, so the Trade Union Congress, they have retreated their decision to embark on a protest tomorrow, Tuesday, May 9, 2023, at Pong, where Sunona Ghana Limited operates. The Secretary General of the TUC, Dr. Yalba, addressed the media. They are now expanding into real and, and also solar and the rest. And they are going to be supplying power across West Africa. And this is the way you are treating your workers. What have you done? So, comrades, it's not a matter of you know, long talks. We need to show that we are union and we have to do what unions do. And what unions do will be very clear from tomorrow. In fact, it's starting from now. Comrades, as your GS said, a uh, number of things have happened. We organized the press conference. Uh, this is the last one. The actions we will take, we don't have to organize press conference to know, for everybody to know. The press, they don't have to ask questions, they will see it. The minister came in, there was no success. Friday, just last Friday, we were locked into a meeting. It took that further for two hours and a plus. The previous one, we met the minister and management reps for nearly four and a half hours. Nothing is coming out of it. So the green light is given this afternoon. The steering committee of TUC is having their emergency meeting. We wanted you to have this meeting before. So two o'clock sharp. We are going to have emergency meeting to look at your, uh, your resolution and to provide that support and solidarity. 
Meanwhile, the General Secretary of the Ghana Mine Workers Union, Abdul Mumin Bana, says a series of protests and industrial actions will also be held if their demands are not heeded to. Congress Ghana resolves as follows. One, to use every means, including embarking on protest marches, picketing, demonstrations, strike actions across the industry and the country to demand the reinstatement of the three dismissed local union leaders of Sunun Asokle, Ghana Limited. Two, to work with the TUC Ghana and all organized labor groups in Ghana and abroad to demand the reinstatement of the three dismissed local union leaders and halt the notorious acts of intimidation and victimization by Sunan Asokle Ghana Limited without further delay. Long live the Ghana Mine Workers Union. Long live. Long live the Trade Union Congress Ghana. Long live. Long live International Workers Solidarity. Long live. Long live the Republic of Ghana. You heard the General Secretary of the Ghana Mine Workers Union of TUC, Abdul Mumin Bana. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Caesar. Let's settle for the details. A finance lecturer at the University of Ghana Business School, Professor Godfred Bobkin, is calling on the central bank to have a relook at its operations of a fiscal dominance regime in a bid to finance the government as it undermines the effectiveness of its own monetary policy. He maintains that a fiscal dominance by the government has become problematic for the Bank of Ghana and rendering its inflation targeting framework ineffective against driving down inflation in the country. Professor Godfred Bobkin has been speaking on the issue. I think the most important thing is how this monetization of the fiscal deficit undermines the operational independence of the central bank. I think that's the that's, that's what is fundamental for me. Okay, because theoretically the central bank is supposed to be independent. And you know when we say let's build institutions and that is to be the anchor for our future, these are the very things that undermine that very drive. And I am sure if you look at the body language of the governor of Bank of Ghana, I could be wrong, please forgive me. In the past three and a half years, you get a certain signal that the central bank has not been happy with how the fiscal side is being managed. They have not been happy. If I go through the press statements of the Monetary Policy Committee after their meetings, with my limited knowledge, I'm able to establish a certain trend that the central bank hasn't been comfortable with how the fiscal side is being managed. Essentially saying that the fiscal dominance that is increasing and increasing clearly undermines the effectiveness of monetary policy. Professor Godfred Bobkin is a finance lecturer at the University of Ghana Business School. 
Moving on, the Executive Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana, Samson Asankia Wingabit, has denied claims by the Ghana Revenue Authority, GRA, that importers are shortchanging the government. The Customs Division of the GRA is warning importers to desist from deliberately under-declaring goods and invoices at the port in order to pay less taxes. Thus, the authority state will attract a 300% penalty and culprits may have their goods seized. Reacting to the news, Samson Asakia Wingerbit said the claims are false as importers cannot evade all the security measures implemented at the ports. When I hear GRA is warning, GRA is doing issuing threats and stuff like that, I, it's my heart bleeds. We are using the ICOM system to do transactions in the country. Customs are very much aware of the goods that are coming into the country and the quantities. So what are they talking about? The shipping manifest will even shows that the goods that have come to the country. And the invoice value that the importer is presented to the agent to do onward presenting entries on the ICOM system would definitely have the quantities and the, the cost of the, the value of, of the goods. So I'm so surprised. So I miss the time Customs come back and say that uh, someone is under declaring and stuff like that. And they are one. Customs have never pointed out fingers to anybody to say that this person is, is underestimated or is and are cutting the invoices and stuff like that. In fact, I'm saying this because custom has so many ways to even cross-check. It is also Ghana custom that keep on saying that importers go to Community 2 and seek invoices. However, custom has a third eye. Customs are working under World Global Custom Organization. And so custom can even cross-check with the exporting country to get export declaration document. And that document would definitely tell you the quantities and the value that the importer has paid to the uh, supplier or whatever. And so what are they talking about? That is a non-startup. Samson Asakia Wingabid is the Executive Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana. Now, the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications is calling for deepened partnerships between the public and the private sector to extend clean power to rural areas where telecommunications are accessible, strengthen efforts to achieve a sustainable green economy. These comments were made by the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications, Dr. Engineer Kenneth Ashigbe, at the 21st Knowledge Forum under the theme Empowering Consumers Through Clean Energy Transitions. We definitely, in our whole conversation about getting green and getting clean for us, is more of an access issue. And if we can work together, private sector, the government itself, to be able to ensure that not only do we take telecommunication services to communities, but where we take them to as well, we are able to provide them with clean power. Because one of the, one of the things I will sell to all of you is that if you move to clean power, you realize that even your light bulbs, you know, the, the, the frequency at which you will replace them, the equipment that you have in your houses, the frequency at which you will replace them, as Doc says, because of the stability and the cleanliness of the power, it would be fixed. So if we are able to do that, you'll find out that those places that are in the very far to reach places would then start benefiting from the effect of the clean power. So that's something that we'll look into. Looked at. And I think as an industry too, we need to look at this whole waste to energy conversation. That was the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications, Dr. Engineer Kenneth Ashibi. 
Finally, Alexander Palace Apartments Hotel has commissioned a new 24-bedroom apartment hotel located at Adenta Ashiye in Okwa. According to the management, the hotel was constructed to provide top-notch service and a short client of safety and comfort. Speaking at the event, the managing director, Samira Seira Mohammed, said the Alexander Palace Hotel is ready to satisfy its clients. My team and I, we are looking forward to you hosting you, your guests and family and friends. It has been a hectic 48 months to get here and we thank the almighty God. Alexander Palace is a 24-bedroom apartment hotel situated in a safe, secured environment and you can bear with me. Our main goal is to offer our guests a royal style service while ensuring their safety, comfort and well-being. Our well-trained staff equipped with international expertise are dedicated to ensuring that our value guests receive top-notch service. Realization is a need that we often neglect and it is important that we learn to take some time off work, time to reflect and rejuvenate after a hectic week. Alexander Palace has been set with you in mind. It is suitable for both short and long-stay guests and is fully equipped with every facility or necessary amenity to accommodate any preference, regardless of the length of stay. It is perfect for the business community for recreational purposes, providing a healthy blend of relaxation, productivity, and rejuvenation. At Alexander Palace, we value the complete satisfaction of our guests, and we cannot wait to have you experience our amazing service. Come and let's host you as a royal in the palace. Samira Sarah Mohammed is the managing director of the Alexander Palace Apartment Hotel. And that's it for the City Business News and Eyewitness News, which was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. CTFM, this is Eyewitness News. My name is Nilati Lati. Time now for Point Blank. And tonight, we build up to the NDC presidential and parliamentary primaries, which is scheduled for Saturday, May 13. And as part of our constituency watch, we want to take you to the Wajakbaru constituency to gauge the mood ahead of the primaries. 
Kanfo now is one of the parliamentary candidate hopefuls. Dr. Nisaka Aluti. Let's now speak to him. Doc, good evening to you and thank you for joining us on Point Blank on Eyewitness News. Yeah, good evening. Thanks for having me. Mm. I trust you are well and as far as your campaign is concerned, everything is going on smoothly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we are, we are campaigning at, uh, in our constituency, every, every part of the constituency to make sure mm. that we deliver the seat for the NDC come 2024. Mm, I see. But who is Dr. Nisaka Alote and why does he want to lead the NDC in the Wajagbaro constituency? Oh, well, my name is Dr. Nisaka Alote, popularly and affectionately called Nibi Jatabi of Wajagbaro constituency. I am a royal from the Sempe clan. I I was born, schooled, and lived in Wajagbari all my life. And um, I understand the demography and the dynamics of the constituents in terms of the voting pattern. Um, I'm also living within the constituency all my life. And um, I declared my intention to intentionally support the party after we lost the 2016 elections and uh, felt the constituency was dejected without a founder. So I started supporting the constituency, both in kind and financially, in recognizing and reorganizing the party to be attractive again. So I contested in the 2020 PC elections after a clarion call from the constituency. Unfortunately, I lost out to one ayah who came with uh, Father Christmas promises, and the people bought into it. Today, a lot of the constituents have regretted for not giving me the nod four years ago. And they are willing to do the right thing by voting massively for me to win the PC ship elections. Mm. And also I, go forward to win the parliamentary seat for the NDC. I, I see. So if I get you clearly, in 2020, in 2020 you actually contested while you lost the primaries. Yes, I lost. Mm. Uh, I lost. So this time around that you are making a comeback, what was the strategy? Because you are going against uh, five other contenders. What actually makes you the best among these five uh, candidates? Um, as I talk to you, uh, I'm happy to announce to you that the ground of Wujagbawe is shaking and is calling for a youthful representation in the August House. And I, like, I, as you already know, I'm a very young man with a youthful adrenaline and I appeal to a lot of the youthful population in the constituency. They look up to me because of my philanthropic work, my job creation ventures, and my natural empathy to support and serve the needy in my constituents. So my constituents have faith in me and trust me that I'll be able to do more for them when they give me the nod to become their leader going forward into the 2020 election. I'm just ready to give hope to the constituency through a lot of initiatives, and a lot of job creation and entrepreneurship centers I'm also going to create um, a lot of opportunities for the youth in the constituency. That is the why, the more reason why they, they, they are yearning and they, they are willing to um, vote for me massively to be able to lead NDC come to the Jennifer. And as I am as I, an SGD ambassador and a distinguished fellow of the Chartered Institute of Governance and Peace, they believe that I will invest so much into peace because there's a lot happening in my constituency that they need such people who can be able to make sure that there's peace within the constituency. 
by C. So is that the reason why a lot of people actually refer to you as the Nibi Jatabi because you've identified a number of challenges in the constituency that you want to fix? You know, there's been uh, there, there's a lot of um, challenges within our constituency which needs a, a political will to be able to solve them in connection with our bad road network, in connection of the pressure on the, our one and only municipal hospital, that is the Akawe Hospital. And to talk of um, uh, the flooding situations in our constituency and water supply in most of our mountainous areas, there are all basic, basic issues that uh, the people need to, uh, they need to address on those matters. And this is the more reason why they need such a person who has lived with them all these years and can be able to identify these problems. And even when they have, he's been given the political willpower, he can address those things in the August house so that they will be well addressed in the constituency. I see. <coughs> Speak to me specifically on your, uh, you know, plans on fixing the bad link rules in the wager constituency, which you want to prioritize when giving the nod as member of parliament if you do win the primaries and, in fact, the general elections. Um, like you rightly said, um, like I said before, all these things need a political will to be able to do them. So, so and I, um, um, I believe so much in the NDC that uh, we are um, a centre-left, uh, which we believe in the ideology where equity needs to be shared equitably among all. We, need, we, we are a social party that we believe in social interventions that will make sure that the people... Uh, um, go about their daily activities and everything at ease. So, roads network is part of um, the one of the major things that is really, really a problem in the constituency. So, in the time where they uh, come 2025 in the ninth parliament, I become the member of parliament. I will mean do, do well to address this major issue that is confronting us in the constituency. What about uh, flats? Yes, like I said before, there we, we have a lot of flat issues. This this happens because we don't have the bigger drainages that take care of this all these um, um, heavy pour of rain and even the opening of the dam. And I think when I come there, there has been also a lot of um, buildings in the which are not illegally, uh, which are illegally built on the waterway, which we need to look at them. So we need to reach a consensus. We need to, I mean reach out to all these people and have a, a negotiation that will make sure that everything we do when you're to uh, um, the interest of the people. Do you understand? I, I, so, I do get you. Yeah, so we had to um, do our possible best to be able to live up to the expectation. Because all you need to do is that uh, since you are elected to represent the people, you need also, you need to also look at their grievances and be able to address them. And most of these grievances are major issues in our constituency, which needs a political will. And I'm even poised more to to the extent where I want to give Wajak Bawi an NDC parent, where we'll have our incoming president, John Damani Mahama, as our president, and Nisa Kaaluti as a member of parliament in the ninth parliament come 2025, 7th January. I see. But on the party level, I've not heard your plans. Are you ready to unite the party, solidify the grassroots? I mean, tell us, what are you doing as far as the, uh, the, the, um, the premise uh, uh, is concerned? On, on the level of the party, uh, the issue is we, we, we've never lacked human resources. We've never lacked the quality of leadership. But 
all we lack is unity. All we lack is a united front to be able to go into elections. So as we all know, like I said before, I am a UN ambassador of peace and a distinguished fellow of the Chartered Institute of Peace and Governance. Uh, I am an embodiment of peace. So I'm, I'm, I will do a lot of uh, um, reconciliation in terms of when we go uh, before, during, and after primaries, there's a lot of cracks which causes our defeat in the in, in election, in general election. So what I'm doing is that I've put down a blueprint to lead us into 2024. That is number one, unity. We need to unite at the rank and file of our party to make them uh, 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 have a very united front to forge ahead into the 2024 election. I'm also looking at rebranding the party, giving re-giving back to the NDC in which I'm going by and involving ourselves in more of the guitar campaigning, involving ourselves in more of um, door-to-door form of campaigning, and also to the extent of not forgetting, uh, mobilizing enough resources to be able to do the intended job. And we also look at security, which by the way in the past has been one of the security spots. And as also a security expert, I look forward to putting in more initiatives to be able to deal with security issues. So that we have very a very smooth and successful election. So within our party, these are the blueprints I've put in uh, down before my people that they should um, look upon and vote massively for me to be able to lead the NDC come 2024. I see. So on Saturday, in the unlikely event that you lose the elections, are you willing to share all these plans you've outlined with whoever emerges victorious in that election on Saturday? <laughs> I, 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 I'm happy you said an unlikely, because come, I have no doubt in my mind that come Saturday I, I, I'll be emerge a winner in the upcoming primaries. But um, like I said before, in the history of Wajagba constituency in NDC, I have been the only candidate, only parliamentary candidate aspirant who had contested, lost, but also come back strongly to support the winning candidate with my time, with my resources and everything. That is the 2020 elections. I lost to one Aya, but I came back strongly. I mean, supported him, donated a party items in terms of motorbikes, in terms of paraffin areas, donated cash pumps, and also was involved. And even went to the extreme by forming an operational team, which is supposed to, um, which was in charge of policing the ballot and making sure that all the police, uh, police uh, statements are protected and also the pieces are rightly taken to the uh, coalition center. And I was even right involved in the coalition. I was right in the coalition room, assisted with the coalition for two nights before the, uh, the declaration on the 10th December last 2020 election. So I'm one person that uh, uh, in the history of Wajak Bawe, I have I lost an had come back. Nobody has ever lost primaries and had come back to support the winning candidate. All right. So I want I, to I wish have, you all on Saturday, uh, but uh, thank you very much, Dr. Nisaka Alote, NDC Parliamentary Hopeful for Wajak Bawe. <laughs> We stay in that constituency and speak to another parliamentary candidate hopeful. Cleland Aya Aysen. 
is also joining us via telephone. <laughs> Mr. Aysin, good evening to you and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. You, uh, you know, went into the 2020 parliamentary election on the ticket of the NDC. You didn't win. Why do you want a comeback? Uh, good evening to you and good evening to all your listeners across the country. Um, my name is Kwelani Aya Aysin, uh, the former... 2020 parliamentary candidate for the NDC, and also I'm coming back again to win my crown back and then to go ahead and win the seat for the NDC in the Wajagbar constituency. Uh, thank you very much for your question. Uh, the reason why I'm coming back is because uh, the first election, which was in 2020, gave me an opportunity to see all the loopholes that we had in the Wajagbar constituency and also to see and get Ghana the experience that is needed to be able to put our people in the right position, in the right frame of mind, so that we can be able to win the election that we have long, long for. And now it's here, and I believe I'm the best person with the experience, the technical know-how, and all the abilities to be able to win this seat for the NDC. I see. What's the different strategy if you say that you are coming back giving the lessons you've learned in the past? Well, um, I brought a lot of uh, security into the Wajagbar Conference because I realized that it's a very volatile conspiracy when I came. Uh, my personal research that I did across the 14 wards, as we call it, uh, in the constituency, let me understand that we needed to be able to uh, sort of see the meat and bone of the constituency. Uh, we, did, we did that, and after that, we had um, a review of everything that went on in election 2020, why uh, we were able to increase our numbers and why we were not able to win the election proper. Now, the, at the end of the day, when we did a review, we realized that there are so many areas that the MPP uh, take advantage of the NDC in Wajagbar constituency. Uh, I wouldn't go too much into details with that, but I can promise you we've identified about six major places that they use as a loophole to win elections in Wajagbar constituency. Well, if you and want to win an election, why don't you want to go into these major areas you talk about? Uh, be, well, because uh, then, uh, you know, I don't know, I, you know, your, 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 you know, Eyewitness News is one of the most listening to programs. And I'm sure, you know, uh, when you are going into war, you don't want to always release all your <laughs> your, your your strategies and I your information that you have. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but, but trust me, be rest assured, we've identified about six ways that the MPP uses to win election in Wajagbar constituency, and we are going to block all those loopholes. I see. Come so, which, which makes you the best candidate to beat the NPP? Because in that last election, you garnered about some 32,000 votes as against the 36,000 votes of the NDC uh, member of parliament, that's Tina Nayeli Mensa. Yes, and that is an impressive number because uh, if, you, if you actually uh, look at, you know, where we came from, you know, Bobia got 26,000 in 2012. 
she was she managed to get twenty five thousand in two thousand and sixteen, and I was able to take the the constituency from twenty five thousand votes to thirty two thousand uh, two hundred and eighteen, which uh, gained a margin to over forty five percent against forty point nine percent the previous election year. So we 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 know what we are doing. I have the experience. I know the areas that we fell short in and where we need to be able to work on so that we are going to cross that over 52% to 53% mark come 2024. I see. I'm giving you just 60 seconds. Speak to your delegates ahead of the primaries on Saturday. Uh, with that, my, my, my regards to everybody. My, my desire is, you know I have the experience. You know I work night and day. Anytime you call on me, I'm there to work door to door. So give me the nod and let's go after the crown and let's go after the win for the NDC in Wajagwai constituency and also to win massively for His Excellency John Dramani Mahama. God bless you all. God bless Ghana. God bless the NDC. God bless Wajagwai constituency. That was Clenard Aya Aysin, NDC parliamentary candidate hopeful for the Wajak Barry constituency. Earlier was Dr. Nisaka Alote, also a parliamentary candidate hopeful for the same constituency. That's how we end today's edition of Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. It came to you live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka here in Accra. We have more news for you when you visit our website, citynewsroom.com. The show was produced by Kobna Wilson, Samir Afe and Beverly London. Technical support came in from Daniel Squashi, as well as social media support from Edwin Kwakufi. My name is Ni Late Late. Eyewitness News returns tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City973. City 97.3. Accra.